Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. I thank you for listening. If you're here for the first time, for the last time, for the third time, on purpose, by accident, however you got here, I am happy you're here. I hope that you're doing well. I hope that you're healthy. I'm glad that you're alive. If you're hearing this, you are alive. Or maybe not. Maybe podcasts exist in the afterlife. Wouldn't that be a nightmare? Um, if there was an after, if you were designing an afterlife, what would it look like? You know, would it look anything like this? Certainly it would include aspects of this. Like if you were going to create heaven, wouldn't it include many aspects of your life currently now? This is a thought I just stumbled across in this moment, but I think it might be, um, you know, deep or meaningful. I'm not sure. I might be an idiot also. One of my favorite moments in any film ever is in the masterpiece Dumb and Dumber. Uh, when Jim Carrey says, I think I just, yeah, I just had an idea. One of the great lines ever written, performed, I don't know if it was written, maybe it was improvised, but it is brilliantly funny the idea and it's kind of it's mindfulness if you think about it jim carrey lloyd christmas is the character uh, best friends with harry dunn lloyd christmas discovering that he just had an idea um but in some ways it's you know it's a little deep he's being mindful that he just had an idea anyways it's hilarious but yeah, I think if you were designing heaven, you'd probably, I would be like, let's get some sports up here. You know, I'd have the NHL playoffs on. You can, I can tell you that. And I wouldn't mind, you know, the comedy seller being up there and a lot of my friends. So my, my point that I'm making here is that, um, you know, I don't really believe in heaven, but this is pretty good, Right. Um, some of you may know the story. I saw Francis Ford Coppola. I saw Apocalypse Now at the Beacon Theater. They played it a couple of years ago, which was the greatest movie experience of my life. Seeing one of my favorite films, another masterpiece by Francis Ford Coppola, of course. And he came out and spoke before the film and after. And um, he was interviewed by Steven Soderbergh, who I hung out with one night. Uh, that's just a name drop. But... That's ego popping in. But Francis Ford Coppola said, um, he said, there's, there's good news and there's bad news there. Oh, maybe there's not bad news. I can't remember what he said. Damn it. I should have uh, recorded it, but that would have been illegal. But he said, there is no hell. Oh, wait. I think he said something like this. Maybe it was good news, bad news. I'm really butchering a real genius's thought, but he said, there's no such thing as hell but there is a heaven, but it's right here and right now is what he was saying. And he just felt very grateful to be alive. And I'm grateful for him because he's created some of my favorite art. Anyways, I'm also grateful for you, but let's get down to business. I've been self-conscious that these intros are too long and this, this one is pretty long, but maybe there's something in there for you or you can fast forward. Anyways, today's guest is my friend, comedian, Doug Key. 
Now, if you listen to Tuesdays with Stories, you've probably heard his name. He is uh, he opens for Mark quite a bit, and uh, I've known Doug for a number of years. He runs the Rogue Island Comedy Festival, which I will be a part of October 10th. I'll be there in uh, Portsmouth, Rhode Island. Doug is a wonderful comedian, very funny guy, also a very sexy man, which comes up a couple times. I think I'm gay, but he also happens to be a physical therapist, and he is studying occupational therapy, which he will get into and explain a little bit. But he, um, I was having a hypochondria panic few days, and I was contacting him thinking I was either having a heart attack or chest muscle problem and it may have been neither but we started talking but he informed me that he was studying some mental health stuff and I thought he'd be a great guest and I was correct in thinking that he was uh we just recorded it today um today being Monday afternoon a few days ago depending on when you're hearing this possibly years ago if you're late to the game but we had a great conversation. In the middle of it, it got interrupted because my landlord came over because my toilet water has just been running for months and I had no idea that was an issue. I just thought it was New York City sucks. So evidently he's been paying an astronomical water bill. But his anger is more directed towards the plumber and not me, which is nice. Anyway, so Doug and I talked about... Um, Anxiety, of course, and uh, hypochondria and um, feeling physical symptoms of stress and anxiety and some of the stuff, the way the brain works. And we talk a little bit about the future and um, staying healthy. And uh, it was a really great conversation. And he has a lot of insight. And I felt like I had some insight and um, really enjoyed it. Doug is a pleasurable guy to talk to. Very funny comedian. And I think you should check him out. And I hope that you enjoy this episode. I really, uh, really enjoyed it. And I think you will too. There's a lot in here that I think will be uh, helpful for you, or at the very least interesting. And there's a couple jokes in there too. So enjoy that. And I will give you a quote from Suzuki. I don't know how to say his first name, but he wrote a very famous book called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, which is one of the first books I read. It is confusing upon first reading but um, there's a lot in there and it's one of the most well-known books to bring Buddhism to the East and anyways it's a fascinating book and here is a quote from him if your mind is empty it is always ready for anything it is open to everything in the beginner's mind there are many possibilities but in the expert's mind there are few He's saying, don't be such a know-it-all, and your ego is not your amigo. Folks, I'm glad you're here. Enjoy this conversation with my friend, Doug Key. All right, this is it. We're live. We're in. Every podcast starts that way. I'm here with my friend, Doug Key, who is a comedian, but also a, a bit of a mental health, I'm going to say expert. You're going to probably push back on that. <laughs> I would say uh, expert only because I literally just listened to a lecture. Uh, I'm in grad school right now. So I'm uh, going back to get my master's in occupational therapy, which has a huge mental health component to it, but it's not like, you know, a specific, I'm not a 
you know, a therapist, like, you know, a talk therapist or right. a psychiatrist. Okay. But that's something I'm, by, by the way, you said go back to school. Cause you're like 48 years old here. I mean, what, what are you doing in college? I know I, it's, <laughs> so I've been a physical therapy assistant and comic for 10 years. And I've, I've had a good balance between the two. Uh, but recently I decided I want, uh, you know, a little more of that money stuff and uh, found a program that bridges um, a physical therapy assistant to a master's in occupational therapy. So in three years, um, you know, I'll have a, a master's degree and I'll be working. I can work less hours, make a little bit more and have more time to do comedy on the weekend. So that's really the, the goal. Right. And in that time now, you're now essentially a mental health expert. I can put that in the bio. Totally. Oh yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Put expert guru. Um, okay. So this is an interesting thing that is worth talking about. So this came about, obviously I've known you a long time and I know that you're a physical therapist. That's right. Correct. Right. Yep. Um, and you've given me some advice before I still do this chest or bicep stretch on the, uh, the wall there. Yeah, that's right. You had a show. I think that was when I first met you. Yeah, it was years ago. And I always got something. I mean, I'm a hypochondriac, so I always got something cooking, whether it be dental, chest pain, bicep pain, leg, and nothing is minor in my life. If a toe hurts, my toe is going to get amputated, plantar fasciitis, right. the whole thing. Um, That's true. Well, you're a human being and you're also, you know, you, you're a nervous guy. So you probably like all this pain gets put under a, a microscope a little bit more. And how much of that do you think, I mean, do you manifest some pain do you ever feel like some of the pain is just more in your head or do you feel like it's actually all physical uh well it depends because now now at least i understand that the brain my brain is able to create physical pain or worsen physical pain which i still forget because it still seems unbelievable it seems not believable to me that the the brain that you can just think something and then it makes it worse or cause physical pain. I've told the story before where like, I have gone to the dentist, emergency dentist, like look at this tooth. It's a funny story actually, because I, I like, I had a dental appointment just with a random dentist. I was freaking out because my tooth was like throbbing and it was like shooting pain all over the place. It was this tooth and it was that tooth. And I just had like, I was like my whole lower, you know, tooth tray or whatever the fuck is, is horrible. And I made an appointment with a therapist and a dentist. And then I made a second appointment with a dentist because I was like, I can't wait till Friday. I got to go. And I went to see this dentist and he looked at my tooth, x-rayed it, picked at it. And he's like, you should have up moved the therapist appointment up, not the dental appointment up. Because he's like, there's nothing wrong with this tooth. And I was like, there has to be. Like I was pleading. I was like, there has to be. And he's yeah. like, there is it. He's like, I'm not just going to crack open your tooth here. Like there's nothing wrong. I can't just drill into a tooth that's fine. And right. anyways, after that, it just went away. Um, yeah. So I can, I'm able to just create pain, which does make some sense to me in that the fact that headaches exist, like you can get a stress headache, which is essentially a muscle that's sore. Is it not in some ways? I yeah. guess the brain I mean, itself isn't sore. I don't know. Well, psychosomatic pain is a real thing. And like, it, just because you don't uh, have any physical pain stimulus on like on your pain receptors in your body, you still, still there's a center in like the cerebral cortex that processes pain and then sends those signals back down to the body to like perceive the pain. So like you can still process it in your brain and convince and feel pain without the actual physical like stimulus, the sensory input. 
So that's not like people think, Oh, I'm crazy. You know, I, I don't have, it's not injured. Um, or I don't have anything wrong with my tooth, but like, you're still experiencing a pain and you need to see, you know, maybe take a medication for it. Or a lot of people, it's just, they need a distraction, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's a pretty wild concept. It is insane. And I still, I mean, so then, so that's how this came about. That's what I started to talk about it was a couple of weeks ago or maybe a week ago, maybe it was two weeks ago. I hit you up because I was having this like chest pain. It was a couple of weeks ago because I was in Texas this like chest pain that was kind of a shooting thing, like right where it feels like my heart is, I guess your heart is more to the center than to the left, but or it's more to the left than the center. I think. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. I think people, it's like when you see like a cartoon drawing, it's always in the center, but it's actually more like in the left chest cavity. Great. So it is my heart. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like I was feeling it like just below my nip, like below my, my pec, And like, feels like right over the heart. And now I'm older. And again, like all the things I do, meditation and Buddhism and therapy have made me better at um, dealing with things and and feeling things. And so I am better at being like, I'm probably not having a heart attack. That's no. And if you were typically a heart attack, you do get those chest pains, but then it's sharp radiating pain down the left arm. So if you're not feeling that, it's it's usually that's kind of like the telltale sign of a heart attack. So it's hard to tell what it could be if it's in that area because it could be, you know, the pec muscle. It could be a, you know, like you even did some research yourself and thought it was like costochondritis, which is inflammation of the, you know, the rib cartilage. Um, and there's also ligaments there that attach, you know, bone to bone, and and then tendons that attach muscle to bone. So um, it, it's you can't really do anything other than rest and kind of just see, you know, if there's red flags, like numbness, tingling, sharp shooting pain, those are like the things where maybe go to urgent care and, and, uh, you know, but I'm glad you texted me and put your health in my hands. Yeah. I think it's important to, uh, text people. You don't talk to that often who are comedians, <laughs> uh, about your, your heart health, but I've also read a bunch of stuff cause I've had chest pains throughout my life, my adult life. And even, and a teenager. And I've had like EKGs. There was a time where like I went home with a, a heart halter monitor, I think it's called or something Yeah, where they strap it on because they were like, maybe you have an arrhythmia because I was just freaking out fucking all the time. And it makes sense. Like to me, like a lot of places, my anxiety and stress manifests are teeth and chest because I am freaked out by the idea of a heart. It is freaky to think, this muscle beats every second of every day, all day, never takes a break. And it doesn't make sense. Like it feels it's, you're so vulnerable to the heart. If you yeah. have a valve problem and issue, if it just stops. And of course with anxiety, it feels like your heart skips a beat. Sometimes your heart flutters, which I guess yeah. is, can be from anxiety as well. What do you know about that shit? I mean, I, I am in the same boat. When I look at an old person, I am fascinated with like, I'm like that their heart has never stopped beating. And right. that's, that blows my mind. They can be 90 years old. And I'm like, that thing has been constantly pumping for 90 something years. And that's wild. Yeah. I try to do a joke about it. It never does great. I think, cause it's like bums people out, but maybe I'll keep trying it. But the idea of, I like the term heart failure. Like we put it on a heart, like you could be 85, your heart stops and like, he died his heart failure. I'm like, I think he passed. It's a, it's an A, you know, or whatever. I mean, the bit never works, but it's just so funny to be like, failed piece of shit. Yeah. 
even though it's been succeeding for, you know, its whole life. Yeah. It never took a break. So I, I've had chest pains before. And the thing that really helps my, and my uncle was a paramedic. I remember him telling me is like, a, if you can move or breathe in a way that alleviates it, like the yeah. thing I was having, if I just sat still and straight, it was fine. Or if you can take a deep breath or if you lay down a heart attack, there's not a way to sit or stand that it's like, there it is. That's better. <laughs> like it's, Oh yeah. No, no. And the, another thing I read that they said is like, if you can point to the pain, it's not a heart attack. Like a heart attack is more general. Like someone's crushing you, like sitting on your chest. Oh, sure. And there's other symptoms too. You know, you get, you start sweating, you get the migraine. So it's like a whole cornucopia of, of red flags. Right. But um, you said you're, you're scared of what is it that you get anxiety with the dentist and what else was it? Like the, the chest, like that's another place that it manifests oh. is, is the heart area, like either teeth or heart where I'm like, I'm having chest pains or I'm having yeah. tooth pain. Those are the two areas that I feel it a lot. Aside from anxiety, do you have specific phobias, like a, an actual generalized phobia of anything? Man, it's hard to say. Like, because like those are two different, like usually people with anxiety usually have phobia and then people with phobia also have like, you know, a depressive disorder. It's like a whole, you know, it's usually not just one thing, even if it's like a subtle part of another thing. Yeah. I feel like I have just general anxiety and panic disorder. I mean, the dentist, I get fucked up when I have to go to the dentist. Yeah. It's, it's, I hate it. And I've gone so much in the last few years that it's gotten maybe a little bit better and I've, there's ways to deal with it. But like I was talking about in a podcast recently on Tuesdays with stories and this podcast, but like, I like have cried in the dental chair where I'm like shaking and like, Oh, I can't do it. Yeah. Like I lose my shit, but I end up being fine. I go, I still yeah. go I'm able to go. Like some people have fear of the dentist and they don't ever go to the dentist. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm afraid of the dentist in, in regards to like getting my teeth drilled or but like getting a cleaning, like I'm not scared of that. You're, but you, you've gotten like teeth extracted, root canals, the whole. So you have kind of, you know, all the right to be scared. Yeah. So, I mean, I really lose my mind. Like a cleaning to me is horrible. It's I dread it, him flossing it. And it's yeah. so stressful. Like my heart races, I sweat, I get freaked out. Right. But again, it's like, I am not fearful enough that I don't go. Right. Um, like there's a thing, like I, I've talked about this maybe before also, but I always think I'm worse than I am. Like with needles, I, whenever I get blood taken or a shot or whatever, I'm uh, always like, I'm not good with needle. I don't like needle. And they're like, what happens? And yeah. I'm like, I don't like it. I get anxious. And they're like, yeah, well, see, do you that's, pass that's a out? but they're like, do you pass out? Do you run? Do you, and I'm like, no, I sit there and get the needle and they're like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah. so they're like, Oh, you're fine. And then when I do get the needle, I'm actually fine in the moment. That's where it's all anxiety. It's just all anticipation. Yeah. Well, that's actually the um, blood injection phobe. That's like the most common phobia. And that's actually um, a, a hereditary phobia too. It's usually you have one first relative, first degree relative that has a blood injection phobia, but also, Fear, like people often kind of combine fear and anxiety, but they're two separate things. Like fear is, um, it's an external known stress. Like you, you're afraid of something that you're aware of. Anxiety is more of this internal unknown stress that you don't know its origin. So it could kind of combine two things. Like you go to the dentist, you're aware you're at the dentist, but it causes this 
other anxiety that's inside. But yeah. I think that's interesting because I, I, I mean, I deal with bull, but I'm anxious a lot of the time. I mean, I used to be a lot worse. I've really grown and gotten much better, but like, it would just be like, there was a time where anytime I would leave a place, any place and go outside, I would start shaking. And I don't know if it was like from mental trauma of being wherever I was, whether it was socializing or whatever, or yeah. like of, of where I'm off to next. But like, I would just have this like shaking anxiety after I left the club and started walking to the next one or got off the train and started going to the next place. It's really? a weird thing where I feel like I'm always in danger or not protected. And that I've gotten much, much better with that. But that, I don't right. know, again, if that's fear or anxiety. I mean, I have a continuous fear of getting uh, mugged or robbed in the city, particularly now as it's like crime has gone up and everyone keeps talking about that. You're like, Jesus. Yeah. Well, um, those, I mean, they're, they're completely natural to have those things, I feel like. But the, the positive part is, I mean, if there is a pot, is that you, you're aware, you're hyper aware that there are rational fears, but they are real to you. You're like, oh, like I shouldn't be like this. Like, but that's how your brain kind of perceives that is like, you don't know where that anxiety is coming. Like social anxiety disorders, people are nervous to talk to people or they can't make eye contact or they're just compliant and say yes to everything because they're afraid that somebody will judge them. So those are all like similar parallel things. Yeah. It's, um, it's hard to get over it. And then, like I said, like sometimes I don't even, the crazy thing is I don't even feel anxious or in my mind, I feel like I'm like, I'm doing pretty good. Like I don't have too much crazy stuff going on. And then all of a sudden I'll start to feel some kind of pain that I slowly start connecting to and being like, and for a while I'm like, that's nothing. That's just a, whatever a rib or a whatever. And then slowly be like, but what if it's not, what if it's cancer? And it'll, it'll plant that little seed. And then slowly it just starts to unravel right. and get worse before I'm obsessing, obsessing about it. I remember hearing an analogy from some doctor or therapist is that like if all of our, our brains or our thought processing is like a wheel, people with anxiety and panic have like a really well-oiled wheel or it just, it just spins. Whereas like some people have to like really crank it. This is just, it just goes and you're just, uh, and you're connecting to those thoughts and believing those identifying with those thoughts where it's like, I am dying. I've convinced myself so many times where I'm Googling for hours straight, which I was doing yeah. a couple weeks ago, which feels like, well, it was yeah, like a relapse. Mean, when you texted me, it sounded like you did some like strong independent research on what you, <laughs> you have. It was like, you sent me a whole peer review journal article that you wrote. Um, but you can't also, you're doing good research. I mean, there is some confirmation bias where you're kind of like, looking and looking and looking until you see that thing that you're complaining of. And you're like, boom, it's that it's gotta be that. But right. don't, you know, completely disregard that because you are doing research. You are looking, you know, you're connecting some dots and that's essentially what doctors and therapists do anyway. Like they don't know everything off the top of their head. They have to go back to the drawing board, back to the books and, and confirm things. But um, yeah, part of it is like the manifestation of, of, you know, oh, I got to have that. And then it sends you down this, this rabbit hole, that, you know, where all these different diagnoses just start spider webbing out. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult to not. And I, like I said, I've gotten so much better where like I used to constantly for years for most of my adult life, 
and even my childhood would go from one ailment directly into another, which like with like a three day break of not obsessing, like yeah. completely neurotic hypochondria where like I would convinced I had a brain tumor or something for like three weeks followed by a couple of days of like, it's not that it's definitely not that it's because sometimes I would end up going to the doctor and they'd be like, well, there's nothing wrong here. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Or I would, I would always ask everybody, have you ever had this? And they'd go, yeah, yeah. I've had, okay, cool. Have you had it? And I would just go around and try to <laughs> confirm whether or not it's normal. And now it's like, that doesn't happen too often, but it did hook me a couple of weeks ago. Cause I was having these chest pains. Um, and I think a part of that was because I was with my in-laws who are nice, they're great, but it is an amount of um, subconscious anxiety to be with your mother-in-law, your sister-in-law, your wife on a trip on your best behavior. Did I say the right thing? And that stuff, it, I'm not fully connected present with the anxiety that entails. So it, it subconsciously, it, it manifests in a chest pain or something. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I did have anxiety a lot when I was, younger but then uh i think when i started just getting busier i just my brain forgot about i don't know everyone's got a different way that they it's alleviated but i think i just became so busy with certain things and projects and uh you know work and school and comedy that i just i didn't my brain didn't have enough time to be anxious i got stressed but i think i found more anxiety in sitting around having more time to think about things that i haven't done yet or need to do rather than like you know, but sometimes do you find when you're too busy, you get really anxious. Like, I feel like I need time to sit, meditate, feel things, identify things. Yeah. I'm so bad at that. I've never meditated and I've never, because I feel like I don't have that. Maybe I haven't tried hard enough, but I don't know. I feel like I used to space out in school and like, look out the window and I'd be like, you know, get in trouble for not focusing. But then like, I feel like now I need to do that. I need to like start spacing out again and like finding, you know, coming to center or whatever it is. I mean, you're, you're a Buddhist guy. You read the, you know, all those books. I don't know how to do it. But it's like when somebody's hypnotized, like, I don't think I could ever be hypnotized. No, I think you have to be dumb to be hypnotized. I'm not sure. I, I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> I don't, I have too strong of like will to have something else take over, but I think that's also bad because I, Maybe I don't know how to meditate. Oh, you should, well, I recommend every week to everybody the Sam Harris Waking Up app. It's amazing, and it's my favorite oh, yeah. guided meditation thing I've ever done. Well, it's a lot. I mean, I've done a lot of great guided meditations and stuff, but his thing is like his is pretty like heavy. Where it's um, he talks about like the dropping of ego and 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 duality and like that we are not. Um, that get try kind of dropping the the illusion of I myself I am Doug Key a comedian and just realizing that you are just um, everything is a, an appearance and consciousness and that um, the idea of self is an illusion it, it, it's really pretty heavy but it, it gets trippy but it also is really good and helpful and beneficial at times. Yeah, I'm uh, studying this. Um, have you ever heard of the, the Kawa model? I don't think so. K-A-W-A. It's like a Japanese uh, kind of theory of mind and body. And like, um, you know, we, we all have a river and the river flows and there's other components to the river. There's the river banks 
there's the, the rocks, the driftwood, um, and you have different rocks in your river and different driftwood that helps can either support or hinder the flow of the river. And that's kind of like, it's a, literally a treatment model to try to take a client and uh, alter their environment. You know, their, if they have a disability, try to provide a physical adaptation for them to use to make their river flow. And not somebody with a physical disability, but even somebody with like a mental disability. So it's all kind of that same concept of, of kind of, you know, the flow of life. Yeah. I mean, those, those Japanese, they really, they're really good with that stuff. The, the Zen yeah. and the Buddha, I mean, that Eastern philosophy, they really got it. They really got it figured out over there. Um, oh yeah. But, yeah. I mean, they got their problems. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. Um, been really helpful to the meditation and the idea of um, saying yes to whatever comes up and not fighting. Cause so much of, stress and anxiety and suffering is fighting with whatever is present, whether it be anxiety or physical pain, like you have physical pain, a, a, a hurt knee or a, whatever. I had a rib thing or a pulled muscle, whatever it is. If you just sit there and keep fighting, going, I don't want this. I want to get rid of this. I wish this would go away. That's suffering. There's like an old Buddhist adage that uh, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Like, there's going to be physical pain, especially as we get older and are, yeah. you know, active athletic guys. Uh, but that feeling of like, fuck, I'm, I'm losing out on this. I'm going to miss this because I can't walk. My knee hurts, so I can't run. I wish this, that's where the suffering comes in instead of just being like, all right, I got to ice my knee and that'll repair itself. Yeah. I think I've just worked in nursing homes for so long now that like, I have such a great perspective on my own physical condition and like, you know, the people around me, cause I'm like, all right, I'm working with somebody who has no legs and they're stage four cancer and they're smiling and playing bingo and laughing with their friends. And, you know, I'm complaining about this over here. So it really puts it in perspective that like, okay, I, it could always be worse. And I'm also preparing for the future. Like I don't, when I get to that age, I don't want to be, you know, I want to be mobile. I want to be moving. So like, whatever we do now dictates how we're going to function in the future. Yeah. See, that's, I mean, you are, for those people that don't know, aren't listening, we only have a shot of your face, but oh. if you're watching on YouTube, I mean, <laughs> Doug is in extreme physical condition. I would say, I mean like top physical condition. I want to, I want to blow you is what I'm saying. <laughs> mostly, mostly genetics. I can't really, uh, Oh, hold on one. Hold on one second, Doug. My landlord's here. Hold on one second. All right. Landlord. I'm back. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. Do you want to, do you need to do something? No, that's all right. My landlord is downstairs working on, so f- we'll edit that spot there. Um, <laughs> that's all right. But for everyone to know, this is another anxiety thing. Our, my landlord, right before we started recording, my landlord called, who's like the nicest guy in the world. And he was like, what is going on over there? It's like, my toilet downstairs just runs and I'm an idiot. I just thought it was an old building. There's a water pipe that goes, whatever. And he's like, I got a $3,000 water bill. What are you guys doing over there? And yeah. so I'm like, I had, he's like, you got to tell me what I just, but you know, it's New York city. I just thought there's water running in the pipes or whatever. Of course. I hear things all the time in my apartment, like hisses and, and beeps and everything. Yeah. So there's, there is a chance he's going to ring my doorbell again to let me know what's going on. So That's I apologize. Right. It builds it's your time. character this episode. Uh, yeah. It's just <laughs> crazy times, but, um, 
Anyways, I can't even remember what we were talking about, but luckily I think you had you said you wanted to blow me. I think that was the last thing you said. Oh you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Um, <laughs> uh, no. So you're in great physical condition. I mean, are you a big diet guy too? Uh, I, I mean, I do, I do eat healthy. I don't, I, I really cut back on a lot of sugary shit. Cause I just don't, first of all, I've had so many cavities drilled and fillings put in my face that like, that was the main reason I'd stopped eating like a lot of really sweet stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I'm just trying to maintain right now. Like I'm not, when I was in my twenties, I was, you know, trying to get big or whatever, but now I'm like, I don't care. I'm just doing body weight exercises in my apartment. Uh, I haven't, I haven't been to a gym in six years. Um, oh, wow. yeah, I just do. I like, I have a backpack. I just fill it with like books and weights and just do like squats with that. And I go up my roof and I have like this like metal bar I'll do pull-ups on. And, but yeah, for the most part, I just eat relatively healthy and uh, work out a few times a week, maybe, and, and, I, uh, and have great genetics. Wow. So you're, you're crediting the genetics again. Do your parents listen to the podcast? What's going on here? No, they don't. I just, they, uh, they like to mention that to me every time uh, they see a picture of me, they go, Oh, it's, it's, our, it's from us. You okay. Know, like, uh, yeah. Got you. But yeah. So, I mean, that's something I think about too. And I, I can't remember if I talked about this. I think I did talk about this on last week or a couple of weeks ago yeah. where again, this is like anxiety and the way your brain works and perception or, or thoughts where I always think I'm going to die. I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm going to get cancer because I ate so much fast food. I drank right. soda. I used to drink alcohol, but then I have to remember and connect to the fact that I quit drinking almost eight years ago. I don't do drugs. I never, even then I smoked weed and did some Vicodin, which was enjoyable, but I was never a big <laughs> drug guy. I've never done Coke. I'm like, yeah. I quit drinking soda and I work out, I run every other day. I go to the gym, I do MMA, I meditate where I'm like, oh, I'm actually like in the top fucking like 2% of Americans probably health wise, even though yeah. I eat some shit, you know, I eat uh, fast food occasionally or whatever. Yeah. I have no, to you, remember that I'm doing okay. You're doing great. I, you posted a picture when you went on that uh, cruise and uh, I commented on your back musculature. It was very well defined. Oh, thank you very much. Well, I do a lot yeah. of push-ups. Those are good for that, right? For your back? Totally. Yeah, you got it. You, you know the anatomy. Um, <laughs> Fuck yeah. I do a lot of this at the gym, whatever this machine is. I only use four <laughs> machines. I, I can't tell what that was. but uh, uh. <laughs> The thing where you sit there and it's against your chest and then there's these two. It, you know, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. You're, like you're, you're fucking somebody. The power thrust. Okay, yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that's, that's a big part of it is like staying active. Obviously diet plays, you know, a large role in, you know, your mental health. And so does, uh, you've eliminated alcohol and, uh, have you ever heard of a, what a panicogen is? No, it's like a car, you know, a carcinogen is like a cancer causing substance. So panicogen is something that like, uh, you know, exacerbates panic disorder, panic attacks, which is caffeine, nicotine, um, things like that. So you don't do any of that other than smoke cigars, right? But is that I smoke cigars occasionally, which does sometimes give me an amount of anxiety. It's weird. It's like relaxing. And then I also feel like can feel jittery depending on how right. strong of a cigar, how big of a cigar. So that's probably not ideal for anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I think that cigarettes are the same way. I've, I've never, I don't smoke because I have asthma, which is, uh, you know, which sucks too, because like I used to have anxiety with asthma. So like, with asthma, you there's you constantly have the feeling that you can't breathe, which is also coupled with anxiety, like another feeling that you can't breathe. So it's like this double whammy. 
Um, so thankfully that's um, gone, but the asthma will never go away. Um, well, th- that's an interesting thing too, with, with panic. A lot of times I get uh, triggered for lack of a better word when it's like really cold or if I'm, if I'm chilly, because sometimes when you get chilly or like shivery, that was like my main symptom when I have panic attacks. That's like right. the main thing. I start to get really shaky and even feel cold. Like I'm like, I'm, I'm shivering. And so sometimes yeah. if I get cold, I'm like, wait, is it cold or am I having a panic attack right now? Right. Yeah. That's that like tachycardia, that like fast beating chest pumping heart rate. Um, and when you're cold, you shiver. So your body's trying to pump more blood to your body. And, and is that all? So with anxiety, am I understanding this correctly? When you have anxiety, or like panic and your heart starts pounding. That's essentially, is this right? Like the evolutionary thing of like your body is reacting the way it would have a thousand years ago. If you saw like a saber tooth tiger walking into your cave. Oh, exactly. It's an autonomic nervous system. So it's your fight or flight response. Right. And like, that's another thing that is, you know, messed up about like today's kids is that like, they're so, like, yeah, when we're cavemen, you see a bear or a saber-toothed tiger and like that fight or flight response kicks on and then you run away from that danger and then it subsides. But like nowadays we have those same like negative stimulus, like stimuli that trigger us every day. So that's like, you know, imagine seeing that saber-toothed tiger every day, multiple times a day. Like that's not normal. That's not how we right. used to grow up you know right that that's i was just why have you watched the social dilemma on netflix i haven't but i heard it's a must see that it's going to change my life well i wish it would change people's lives i think it's just going to make people like ah shit (laughs) it's like you know what i mean i don't know that it'll actually change but they kind of talk about this i recommend the movie to everybody uh it is anxiety inducing because there's a guy that's like 20 years from now we're probably all going to be dead the society will just collapse um that's just one guy but we can get into that in a minute, but I trust I, it. I don't want to add. Do you think we're all going to die? We're going to be all right. I think we're going to be all right. No, I'm just saying. I, you know, I, I don't believe one guy, but if he did, if he did his research, you know, he's got to have a point. It's like listening to a conspiracy theorist. You know, you're like, well, this didn't come from no, nowhere. Right. He's got some kind of something to him, I guess. I mean, it doesn't look good for our society right now, but no. But things will get better. I don't want to freak people out here. But anyways, so we'll come back around to that. But one of the things they talk about in the documentary is that technology, everything has changed so much. I mean, we've only been here for how long have human beings been here? A few thousand years? Yeah, I'll go with that. I can't remember. It's something. But I remember hearing the analogy of, of all of if all of time was a 24 hour clock, human beings arrived at 1159 and 59 seconds or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, right. uh, we've only been here for like a blimp of the existence of the earth. Yeah, exactly. So all of these changes have happened in a really fast period of time, like the industrial revolution and technology and all this technology moves so fast from, you know, from telephone to cell phone to all the social media. And they're like, all that is keeps changing so rapidly, but our brains and neurosystem or neuroscience, whatever the, whatever you, however you say it, you're smarter than me. That hasn't changed at all. Like human makeup has changed zero. Right. We're still reacting in the same way we were 2000 years ago, but now to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, post emails, text, everything. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we are. We're we're not sure. We're, we're certainly evolving structurally, and uh, you know what we're conditioned for. But yeah, you're right. Like our brain still, you know, when we're kids, like you know, our brains are still neuroplastic, and we can still learn more as children uh, as opposed to now. You know, like you're you're playing like the what instrument are you playing now? The mandolin. Mandolin. Do you find it is it like is it much harder to learn that now? Right. Yeah, I mean, I didn't try to learn an instrument when I was a kid, but it definitely everyone says, and from anything I've read, is it's much easier to learn an instrument when you're a child. Yeah, like you, like because of neuroplasticity, your brain is still molding. It's like uh, pa- like paved roads that are drying. But now it's like if we want to learn something new in our 30s, it's like you have to, you know, jackhammer up an old road and like pave a new one. So it's much much harder to learn stuff now. But um, so we're still learning. We're getting smarter you know, we're learning to adapt to everything, but like, it's, it's crazy that like, this is going to be what we're doing now is going to be, you know, prehistoric in like 30 years. Right. If there is a 30 years, there will be. I know. There um, will be. Yeah, we'll be fine. It's um, going to come around. But I was just listening to a thing today. I was listening to Joseph Goldstein, who's a big Buddhist. Um, Jesus, Doug. Uh, <laughs> um, person? Yes, yes. There you go. Sorry, the uh, the Wi-Fi cut out. He didn't get yeah. to finish his uh, yeah, sentence sorry. there. Um, but no, he's a Joseph Goldstein's like this great Buddhist um, meditation teacher, and he has a podcast that everyone can listen to. That's great. Uh, you might need it after we talk about the end of the world here. But um, <laughs> but I was listening to him, and he was talking about a thing that that maybe you know a little bit about, but meditation people talk about a lot is that the more you think thoughts or think in a way, it kind of works the brain out that way. It clears that road a little bit. So your brain naturally starts thinking that way. It's the, I've heard the analogy of like grooves in a record, you kind of deepen a groove and the needle keeps falling into it. So Mm -hmm. for people like me with panic and anxiety and hypochondria, that groove is so deep because I've been thinking like that for so long that it's very easy for the needle to pop in there and and get stuck in there. Of course. And that's the exact same theory of neuroplasticity. I just mentioned is you do something over and over again. It's basically a fancy way of practice makes perfect. You know, you do something with repetition, repetition, but you're right. It could also neuroplasticity could also be bad. Like that's why people get addicted to drugs and gambling because they're training those grooves to become deeper in that. So or just the absence of something, training your brain to just not do something is equally as bad. Um, so, yeah. So, so you could kind of, what I'm trying to do or hoping to do and what you try to do with meditation is sort of retrain and deepen different grooves in, in that um, you kind of practicing mindfulness where you keep coming back to getting out of thought and be like, oh, I'm lost in thought again. Let me come back to the moment, to the breath to this chair, to whatever, to feeling the um, consciousness and all that stuff, you can kind of deepen those grooves so it's much quicker to get out of that stuck in thought feeling or of anxiety or panic or whatever it is where you're just future tripping and you're like, oh my God, society is going to collapse because we're all addicted to our phones and this guy's a fascist. And you can go, wait a minute. I'm lost in thought right now. I'm identifying with thoughts. I'm just overthinking. I'm future tripping right here. I'm just sitting here talking to you or the people are listening to us. Maybe they're on the subway yeah. or in their car, just listening to a podcast, which is a, a thing I've mentioned before. Eckhart Tolle always talks about when you really pause and ask what is wrong right now. Usually the answer is nothing. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. That's great. And I have to keep reminding myself of that because I mindfulness is such like a it's easy to conceptualize, but it's it's harder to practice. And uh, I don't know. I think I'm again. It goes back to like that. I have difficulty meditating. Like I've never I've never actually seen a therapist. I'm embarrassed to admit, which is weird because I feel like a lot of people are embarrassed to sometimes admit they are seeing a therapist. But I'm the opposite now. I feel like I should see a therapist, but uh, I don't know. I feel like I need to get the right one first or else I'm going to be scarred. I'm not going to go see, go back to one. Yeah. I hear you. Like, obviously, you know, about Alan, Mark goes to Alan. I go to Alan. All these people go to Alan. Like I love the guy and I've thought about it cause he's 73. I'm like, if this guy dies or retires, I'll be devastated. And I'm like some other douche is going to stink. <laughs> he doesn't know yeah. me. He doesn't know what the hell. So it is hard. And I have met a lot of people that have gone to therapists that they just hate. And they're like, he said this, or she said that. And, or, you know, she showed me her tits and that they were gross or whatever it is. <laughs> they get, um, they have shitty therapists. So it's like, it is hard to get a good one, but do you feel like you need therapy? You, you, I don't know you that well, but you seem like a very even keeled guy. You, you're, you're in great shape. You're hot. You know, you're, 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 you're <laughs> in, in comedy in comedy. That's kind of a handicap though. It's the only job in the world where you're actually, I'm actually more anxious about that because I do comedy. Um, I, I don't know. Like I do, uh, rationalize things. I am a realist, so I, I can kind of suppress a lot of negative thoughts, um, and just replace them with an action or, you know, staying busy. But like I went through a breakup back in, um, December and I actually texted Mark. So I was like, I was in a rough spot and I was like, Hey man, you talk about this therapist a lot. I was like, do you have his number? I was like, I think I should probably see somebody. And he was like, all right, I'll give you his number, but I'm just warning you. He sees a lot of, a lot of people. He might be busy. And, uh, he said, but he's great. So I, I, I texted him and then he got back to me and he said, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm busy right now. I don't have a lot of, uh, space in my schedule, but he get, he, he got back to me right away, which I really respected. He actually gave me a list of like five other therapists to try like that he recommended. And I, I called the first person on that list and they weren't seeing any more patients. And I was like, all right, never mind. I don't need to see a therapist. That's hilarious. <laughs> that you're cry. Like, I'll, I'll cry in my room for two weeks. You're like, I tried. Um, that reminds me of a joke that I just, re- I'm like remembering all these bits of mine that I forgot because we took seven months off. Write them down. But it was about um, where, uh, and this, this, this actually like kind of weirdly fits in the conversation in some ways of mental health or maybe not. In some ways it could be related to mental health, but the idea of like, I always worry about climate change, which is horrifying, which by the way, everyone's talking about COVID and race riots and all this stuff. And I'm like, this is the one that's going to kill us here. Like the entire West coast is on fire and <laughs> there's just all yeah. in smoke. And, um, you know, there's yeah. three hurricanes at a time now in the crew. Anyways, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to help people not bum people up, but <laughs> I was like trying to take action. I'm like, I got to take whatever action I can for all these things that I get anxious about. And so I was like, I'll call my Senator. And this is a true story. So I called the Senator to tell him to take action on climate change. And I wasn't expecting someone to answer. I thought you just left a voicemail and a lady literally was like, Senator Gillenbrand's office. And I got freaked out and I just hung up. (laughs) And, but the joke is like, I still felt good. Like I actually was like, you know what? I I did something today. It's like when you, it's like when you have a crush on a girl and you call to like ask her out and she answers the phone and, you know, you just panic still, but you like felt good that you had the balls to call her. Yeah. I'm like, I did something. At least I, I tried. And 
then it's like this weird thing where you're like, what if I had said something? How much difference would that have really made? But that's another, you know. I mean, hey, it's, uh, you know, it piles on. It's like uh, Chinese water torture, you know, just every drop is going to eventually make you go crazy. Yeah, it's something, it, it, it does something. You have to, we all have to do what we can, I guess, at every little bit. Do you, do you have anxiety for the future? You don't worry about it? I'm always curious how people handle that shit. The future, like overall, like the universe. I guess so. Do you worry about that, or you worry more about personal shit, or you just you don't? You're a person. I'm more worried about like. I guess I'm more worried about the immediate future. Again, like working around old people, I kind of like I'm I'm prepared to be an old person. Um, I think. I mean, I guess you can never really prepare, but like I don't, I don't have any like existential dread for, you know, the world burning down, even though it you know, it is at a minute level right now. Um, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we, we watch the news and everything and we're on social media. So we see like all these pictures of rapid, you know, wildfires and protests, but like, I feel like a lot of the world is like, is doing great. Um, but we're just kind of like in this epicenter of just disease and death and hate. Um, so I try to just like what, maybe I do practice mindfulness cause I do bring it back and I'm like, all right, well, you know, hopefully things, I can't, I, I know, I think fi- I find solace in the fact that I can't make a difference, you know, to a, to a great extent. So I think that's what kind of brings me peace. Yeah. I, that I need to, I help. I need to remind myself of that maybe more often. I'm pretty good about it because I have a practice where I do that, but the idea of um, controlling what you can control. So for me, like, with yeah. the environmental crisis, I mean, I did just buy a car, but I didn't have a car for years. And I don't, <laughs> I take the subway a lot. I walk a lot. And I'm like, I live in a small apartment in a city where we share a lot of space. And, um, you know, I eat probably too much meat. Um, but I, I'm like, I give money to the nature conservancy and I spend time in nature. I'm like, what can I do? But th- it is, th- you do have to take solace in the fact that I'm like, I can't, I can only do so much. It's not worth me worrying too much about it because I can't control it. I cannot control um, racial tension or climate change or the election or all these things. All I can do is, is vote for candidates that I believe in and give money to those candidates and maybe tell some family or friends. I have family in New Hampshire, so I'm certainly on them about the election or, I mean, and meditate and just be the best person I can be. And it's like the Gandhi thing, be the change you want to see in the world. So it is important to take whatever action you can, but also to recognize that I can't control much of this. I'm not in control, which is strangely helpful. Right. I, you brought up a good point about like trying to first start with your own family and like talk to people that you love and trust to like change their mindsets. But I feel like that's, it's so much harder to do than it is to say, you know, like, I don't know. I can't, I can't imagine just being at Thanksgiving dinner and just being like, Hey, everyone should, uh, you know, recycle. And, you know, uh, <laughs> they're going to be like, shut up. What? Shut up. That, well, you know. It's, it's, well, it's hard. For, and that's a deeper thing too. It is hard for a lot of people to worry about the grand you know, the greatest game because they have kids and bills and they can't afford, like I've had this conversation with my family where I'm like, Hey, we got to recycle and make sure to donate wh- whatever it is. And they're like, what? I'm paycheck to paycheck. I don't give a fuck about yeah. what, whatever it is. 
And they're just like, I'm just trying to get, make my Mac and cheese and get the laundry done before school tomorrow. I can't be worried about right. Whatever a wildfire in Oregon or whatever it is. So yeah, it's tricky to balance. And again, I'm like, I don't want to get in this depressing place, but I guess it comes back to doing what we can personally and, and being whatever change we want to see. Yeah. And I like, I'm optimistic enough to believe that tolerance um, spreads faster than racism and hate and whatever. So I feel like, you know, there, I don't think there'll ever not ever be racism and hate and all that stuff and death, but I feel like as the younger generations grow and older generations die out, I think the proportion, the ratio of the positive stuff for the environment, for our culture is going to be, is going to outweigh the negative. And uh, so that's, that's my little optimism is that. That's, it's, yeah. That's a hopeful look. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you're going to say one more positive thing and I cut you off. Cause I got excited about hope. No, there's literally no more positive things. <laughs> oh, geez. Then let's, <laughs> I don't want to get into the negative stuff, but so wait, hold on. I want to go back to what like, so you're studying all this stuff now. What's the thing that's really jumped out that you've learned recently or studied recently in the courses you're taking that you're like, wow, I did not realize that. Or like, is there any gems that you can? Well, I mean, a lot of people don't really know what occupational therapy is. Like, as you know, I'm a physical therapy assistant. So physical therapy looks at the human body from a biomechanical standpoint, like bones, tissue, muscle, tendons, right? Like if you have an injury, we're going to, we're going to target that injury, but occupational therapy is a little more uh, broad. Uh, kind of covers the whole human lifespan and OT really focuses on the individual as a person that does meaningful activities in everyday life. Like there's a misconception that occupation is just what you do for work, but an occupation by definition is what you do what occupies your time? You wake up, right. uh, you know, sleep is an occupation, uh, making breakfast, cooking, cleaning, bathing, wiping your ass, you know, masturbating, any literally sex is an occupation. And actually I had an ex uh, exam question that was like, if a client comes to see you and, uh, you know, they, they express that they're depressed because they can't have sexual relations with their wife, like, what are you supposed to do? And the correct answer was like, demonstrate other positions that the client can do with their physical capabilities. So um, yeah, occupational therapy is very much like you're in the battlefield with somebody rehabilitating their meaningful activities. So the brain, what, what to answer your question operates better when it's doing something that it enjoys as opposed to something that it's mm. a doctor just tells us to do. So, you know, incorporating a treatment that, is based off of something that uh, brings you joy or brings you happiness. That's going to actually make those grooves in your brain deeper, like you talked about before. And that's what's going to lead to more positive outcomes and less dysfunction. So I always thought that was kind of an interesting concept with uh, OT. It's interesting because so many comedians are depressed and anxious, and maybe it's there's a chicken and an egg effect is that they were depressed, so they try to bring joy or do something meaningful but it's interesting because you'd think there would be that would be really helpful in that they're doing something they love obviously i mean i guess some comedians don't love performing or maybe the anxiety of of building a life where you have to uh get the uh, approval of strangers overwhelms the fact that you're doing something that's so fun or enjoyable that's exactly what it is and i think all of us in this pandemic now like I'm sure your first show back was, you know, 
you you got that rush of like joy back like oh i love doing this and like yeah. i i did that uh royers for a gig with mark that was my first show in like seven months and we we're just driving back and we we're just like you know spitballing jokes and just talking about the show and comics and it was just like oh i i do love this and for a while i was becoming content like all right i guess there's no comedy but now it's like oh that does like light up my brain you know yeah it's weird because i've gone through this thing we had a long break obviously and we're starting to get back a little bit but still like a fraction of the amount of comedy i was doing before and yeah. i do definitely miss the crowds, not the create. First of all, my favorite thing to me, I think, is creating material, seeing if it works, and then it pays off. It does work. Oh, the honeymoon phase is like the best part of comedy, I think, with a yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. And now I'm, I, I have that. I've done a couple of shows, and at the time of recording this, I'm about to do Royersford. At the time of people hearing this, I just did Royersford, but I'm doing it a second time, and I'm looking forward to it. And that feeling you miss so much. Of, of creating a bit or coming up with an idea and then making people laugh. And there's, there is no greater feeling than like making a room full of people laugh. With something and, brand new. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an amazing, and it's also like a f crazy magic trick where I'm like, if this thing goes from my brain, I am able to communicate yeah. it. And then it goes into your brain and you you translate it and, and laughter comes. I but mean, all like a room full of complete or field of complete strangers that all have different senses of humor and you make them laugh collectively at the same exact time with a brand new dumb thought. You're right. Is, is just science. It's insane. And it's also, you're putting together a group of words that have never, ever been put together in that order. Right. Uh, which is pretty fascinating. But anyways, that feeling I miss so much, but so many of the other feelings I don't of like, yeah, again, like getting on a plane and trying to catch a cab and have the alarm clock go off and being like, I have to be away from my wife for a few days and be away from my bed for a few days. Mm -hmm. Those are all so stressful. So it is difficult to find the balance and the feeling of the opposite feeling of what we're talking about, where you're like, I really thought that was going to work and nobody laughed at all. And I just completely missed the mark here. Yeah. That also a, is a crummy feeling. It's a vicious cycle. Cause it's like, I mean, that's how, I started comedy is like my first show was awesome. Cause it was like a bringer show. So I had like 25 friends and family there. And I thought I, I got off stage, like, wow, this I'm, I'm great. And then I did my second show ever at like a bar during like a Bruins playoff game. And they were like, shut the fuck up. And, uh, and that was like motivating enough to do it. I was like, I need to redeem myself and do it again, as opposed to like the, Oh, that was awesome. I can't wait to do it again. So it's like this constant cycle of like, needing it to get back up there regardless of like how you do. Yeah. And I try to, um, again, similar with mindfulness and just life shit and, and the sort of keys to being happiness to, to happiness or feeling happiness is being connected to what you're doing and what your life is and being connected to reality that you have relationships. There are people that love you. There's people that you love and, um, it's a gift that we get to be here and all that stuff. So performing standup, I try to be connected to the fact that these are individual people living lives. And I'm the intent is to bring joy and to put the focus on them as opposed to yourself of like, if I do well, I'll feel good. Or this, if I do well at this gig, I might be able to get that gig or I'm going to get paid mm -hmm. this amount of money to kind of um, remove yourself out of it 
and think about these other people who are like, oh, these folks really wanted to see me and they get to see me or they're just people that don't know who I am, but they're like, uh, I'm tired of sitting at home. I'm going to go see a show and you get to bring some joy to connect to that really helps take away from the shitty parts of show business as much as you and I are in show business. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. we say show business and I'm like, Tom Hanks is in show business. We're telling jokes <laughs> yeah, in, at bars. <laughs> yeah. We're in field business now. Um, yeah. uh, yeah, and it's it's wild to also think about like how little we actually stop to appreciate that regular people sitting in chairs in front of us are like make our profession. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just regular people sitting down, like no matter how big or famous, successful you are, just you know, a guy that works at Kinko's is buying a ticket like a bunch of those guys or women are what fuels us what like gives us a career yeah there is no comedy without people in the audience it's just it's that's part of the formula you can't have you can't have it without the other <laughs> right uh, it's a little i mean you can i guess but it's just poetry at that point right i guess um yeah, have you ever thought about i was thinking about this today like the origin of like my anxiety like originally do you know like which have you ever looked into like the different theories of like where it originated like there's like four different theories. Oh no, I don't know what the four. I mean, I do that constantly. I wrote, I wrote them down. Oh, please. I mean, I do that yeah. in therapy and trying to figure out parents and learn behavior and all that stuff, but I don't know about these four theories. That's one of them. That's one of them. All right. So are you ready? Number one, I'm pumped. Psych, the psychoanalytic theory. Now that's the, um, that's like the Freudian um, unconscious sexual wishes. It's like that psychic conflict that you, I don't know, maybe you want to, and sleep with your mom or whatever, but it comes from yeah. that, that whole origin. I don't know. Okay. Pass. No, yeah, no, it's, that it's, one. <laughs> it's not that one. Okay. Uh, there's the behavioral theory, which is uh, conditioned response to a specific environmental stimuli. And that's like you going to the dentist or, you know, just a specific one. The social learning is another one. That's what you just mentioned. Learn behavior from parents. Um, and then the fourth one is existential, which is the result of feeling of living in a purposeless universe. I think I got a little dab of a few of those. I mean, I've always felt that way. I mean, like Woody Allen put it so great. Who's one of my uh, artistic idols, I'll say. I mean, his personal behavior is sketchy or whatever, but one of my, maybe my favorite artist of any kind, but anyway, he had a great way of saying it. He's like, once when I was a kid, I figured out that we all die and it just ends and it's just permanently over. He's like, I thought, just deal me out. I don't want to play. And I was like, <laughs> that's such a perfect way to put it. I feel the same way. And I was young too, being like, what is this? We die. And then you're just endlessly perpetually gone emptiness. And I felt yeah. the same way of like, I'm not interested. Fuck this. That's yeah. Sucks. Um, yeah. but it's interesting because the only way to deal with that anxiety or feeling would be to like kill yourself. And then you're just fast forwarding into the process of the emptiness. Now, now I look at it as not emptiness. It's just, there's no consciousness anymore. So there's nothing yeah. to miss. That's why I never shit on anybody that like, you know, is religious or believes in God or whatever, because like, I, like the people who are the most religious, and the people who are like the most scientific and realist or whatever, like what if like the 
religion is just the answer that science can't explain. So I'm like, all right, well, you believe that when you die, something else happens. Like, I shouldn't take that away from anybody because sure. like, you know, my theory is not great either. You know, just consciousness ends and you just go into this earth. Like, right. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. And whatever, whatever gets you through the night, as John Lennon said, um, <laughs> or sang, right. and then he got shot in the face. So who knows? But um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. It's like whatever people think is, is, is fine by me, as long as it, what they think isn't, well, if I, you know, shoot somebody or blow somebody up or, you know, whatever, light myself on fire. I'm not into yeah. that, but um, I forget what I was going to say. Oh yeah. Existential crisis. I mean, I deal with that all the time and I always feel like, you know, we're, we're doomed, but then I realized that's just anxiety and that's just me looking for, and this is a big source of my anxiety and suffering is me looking for some kind of guarantee that I'll be okay, that me and all the people I love are going to be fine and live our full lives. And that doesn't exist. And again, it took me 37 years to realize that that's not possible. And then you have to accept that that's not possible. And from that place, you can enjoy some of your life a little more. But I always wanted someone to go, yeah, no, it's going to be fine. But it's, that's not a possibility to anyone to say with any assurance. Yeah, well, you can say it and you can, you know, you could believe it to an extent, but like, you know, you seem like a, a guy that really like, you know, you love your wife, you, you guys travel together, you spend time together. You, you seem like you really appreciate mo- like just specific moments and you really absorb them and take them in. And I feel like that's just the key to it is just, it could end tomorrow. So just remember everything now, you know? Yeah. Try to have some fun. And I, I've gotten into, and I talk about it a lot, stoicism, which is sort of gratitude, taking time to think of the worst case scenario and being grateful that that scenario is not happening and to just be grateful that we are alive here and recognizing that, you know, like I said earlier, like in this moment, you are a hundred percent fine. And every worry and suffering you're dealing with is worrying about something that may happen Mm -hmm. or is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think I'm just, I have so much going on right now that I haven't even looked into the future, like getting married, having kids. I mean, I, do you feel like some, like a, because you're married now, do you feel like you don't like, that's a stress off, like, like a weight on my shoulders is like, Oh, should I have kids now? Should I just wait, have them later? Should I even have them at all? Like, do you find solace in the fact that you do want to have kids or like now that you're married, is that like chapter closed? You don't have to worry about that. Well, the the first part of the, the marriage thing. Yes. I always think of, um, Forrest Gump. I love Forrest Gump. And there's a great line in the movie where, or part in the movie where he says, Lieutenant Dan got us involved in a, invested in a fruit company and it's Apple, which is a joke. And then he's like, I got a call from him saying, we don't have to worry about money anymore. And I thought, great, one less thing. And I do feel that way (laughs) about marriage where it is a thing of like, okay, one less thing. Like I know who I'm having sex with. I know this is who I'm with. And that's that. I, I don't have to worry about finding someone or meeting someone or, you know, when I'm going to get laid or, or who's going to be with me if I do this or who my date is for that. It is a thing of like, okay, put that aside. That's great. I got her. She's cool with me. I mean, yeah. Obviously, you have to put some work into a, a relationship and, and be aware and use mindfulness and all that shit. But like, I'm like, I'm pretty confident that's solid. Yeah. 
the kids thing we I never thought about. I mean, I did think about and was like, absolutely not for most of my life. More recently, I've been like, maybe we could, but then all the stuff we've been talking about, the existential stuff, existential stuff, not egg. Um, yeah. It, that stuff comes into play and it is anxiety, but a lot of that is anxiety. Again, just future tripping of like, what's his life or her life going to be like? How do you pay yeah. for that? And that's anxiety. <sighs> yeah. I mean, that's like, I was a product of divorce as most comedians are, I think. And like, I think one of my biggest fears is, is settling with somebody that's just going to not be there. And then I also have to think of the worst case scenario, which is you can get divorced. But like, I think going into a marriage being like, Oh, well, at least we can get divorced is like, that's probably not the right person to marry, you know? Right. I'm just so in fear of like, there's a lot of people I went to high school with, or, you know, in my hometown that just kind of settled because it was convenient or familiar. And like, that's my biggest fear is doing that. Yeah. I think everyone, I mean, maybe that, that fear will cause you to not, do that, I guess. But right. I also think it's natural to worry that um, if someone's the right person or the wrong person, but I don't really, it's funny that my wife is perfectly walking in right now. That was like, <laughs> isn't it? Um, but I don't really believe in the, there's a right person or there's one person. Like I was like, I think if I died, my wife would be devastated in a couple of years from now. She'd meet some other person that she has a nice time with, and then they would grow and be together right. And, right. and vice versa. So it's, it's like, this is just a love. Yeah. Like my wife is a person that I'm attracted to who I like, and we have a lot in common. And then we work together and build a relationship. It's not, you know, God didn't send us down to meet each other. So there are people you, you, you meet and you're attracted to them and you like, and you have similar feelings and then you just kind of grow from there and keep growing and work together. And you're like, I like this now. And then you can be like, well, that can be your thing. Or you're like, I also like that. And you just, yeah. and that's a microcosm of life. I think is it is a thing of no matter what happens, you just deal with that. And that's what my therapist always reminds me of because so much of this anxiety, he's like, you're anxious about a thing that you will be able to deal with. Like, I'm like, I might need another root canal. Oh my God. And he's like, well, you've had four other ones and you got through them and then it's just fine. Yeah, you know how to do it. So, yeah, you'll be fine, is my point. All right, well, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, you're great. <laughs> and you're in great shape. Lay, are you single right now? Because we could probably get you laid right now. Oh, uh, you know, I, I just don't have time, but I appreciate the <laughs> offer. I mean, I'm not saying me. I'm just saying <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody listening that's, you know. I, I hope. Send me a message. Yeah, hit up hit up Doug. Um we we got to kind of start to wrap it up but um Sure. What are there anything else you want to impart or um questions from my zen mind or or something can you give me some help advice something I can really take with me that feel better? I you know, I thought of I wanted to I wrote this down in my notes. It's not even a bit or like anything but I was talking to my friend who was like depressed because he wasn't like he didn't have everything he wanted yet and I was like I said, you, you're looking at this pot of gold. You keep, you know, fixating on this pot of gold and you have to remember that the pot of gold doesn't exist. And life is more about finding your old, your own little gold pieces along the way and filling up your own pot because you're never going to find. Yeah. So I was like, I think I should copyright that. Um, <laughs> I like that. Well, this is time step now. You said it on the podcast. I did. All right. It is. Yeah. Yeah. This is the poor man's uh, copyright. Um, but this yeah, podcast I think, is huge. <laughs> yeah, well, it will be. <laughs> Hopefully. 
but yeah, that's one thing that I, I have to remind myself. And it's like, sometimes when you're talking, I'm sure you do this on the podcast, when you're talking to other people, you'll say something that again, you didn't put, you've never put those words together, but it makes the most sense to you. And, uh, I think that's what I have to keep reminding myself is like, anytime I have a little accomplishment, that's just one little gold piece, put it in the pot. And then, you know, when you're 90 years old, you can, uh, you have the pot that you filled up, but you never found it like that. You earned it. Right. I like that. That's beautiful. I mean, that's a beautiful way to go out. Collect some little gold pieces. Yeah. And, uh, you know, stick them in your ass and, and, and yeah, see if you come. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I like to bring a little Tuesdays into uh, mindful metal. Jack. Yeah. I was, I was curious. I was like, I don't know what I should say. This is a very, I've listened to your opening is very, your voice is very soothing on oh, that thanks. opening thing. Thanks. I try to really soothe people out. And I, I listened to one because I was like getting rid of files and I listened to one. I just wanted to throw up. I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. Just, no, no, it's, it's great. When you have like the little quote or lyric or whatever, oh, um, I will say this lastly, my, so kind of a bummer story, but a, a couple of years ago, my little cousin, he passed away. He was only 19 years old. Um, and he, he was like a surfer, he was in a band, he played the guitar and he had like long hair. And that's, that's why I've been growing, growing my hair out. So I could, uh, uh, do it like he had it, but he, before he passed away, he recorded a song. I didn't even know he played the guitar. I didn't even know he sang in a band until he passed away. And then the song he recorded was so good. And like the lyrics were so prolific. The name of the song was called far from done. And, uh, the lyric is like, don't worry about what is to come. I promise you we're far from done. And so I was going to like <laughs> curl my hair out and get that tattooed on somewhere. Um, but that one lyric that he wrote before he passed away was so meaningful to me. So that's, I just wanted to share that. And, uh, yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, yeah. you really brought the heat at the very end of this. Not that you weren't the whole time. <laughs> It was great. The whole thing was great, but that is beautiful. And the gold thing I love, and uh, it's been really great, man. I hope you enjoyed talking. Yes, I did. I thank you for having me. And I'm looking forward to having you uh, in Rhode Island. Oh yeah. Let's, let's plug that because I see the thing right behind your head and it's, it's so weird. I'm not used to plugging dates anymore. Um, so I got to remember to do that. So you do the Rogue Island comedy festival, which I think that I have never been able to do. I think I've I did it you, once. Yeah. I've asked you a couple times and, uh, but you've always had like full weekends. Like I think one weekend you did like a, you were in Cleveland and you're doing like a Thursday through Sunday, which is like the long or Tuesday through Sunday or whatever the hell that club is. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I associate Rogue Island festival with Cleveland. Cause I think that was that big weekend. <laughs> I was like, I'm gone a hundred percent of the festival. And then maybe another time I was doing like, Louis dates or something. Uh, it's been yeah. a few times that I, I, tr- I wanted to do it and something came up. I think one time I maybe even had to move it. Well, I appreciate uh, you even like responding to my text and, and agreeing to do it at one point, but uh, yeah, it's super fun. We're going into our sixth year and uh, you know, prior to this, the festival's only gotten bigger um, each year in uh, Newport. Uh, this year we're going to do it at a, at Greenvale Vineyards in Portsmouth, Rhode Island. So it's only like three hours North of the city. Um, it's a nice drive. It's a beautiful vineyard. Um, you're doing October, uh, 10th. I think. 10th. Yeah. It's two shows on October 10th. So tickets are at rogueislandcomedyfest.com and there's five shows that whole weekend, uh, in Rhode Island. If you're in new England and want to come see some great standup. Hell yeah. Yes. October 10th, seven and 9 PM. You and Sarah rogue Island. Yeah. And Sarah will be there as well. So, uh, I'm pumped for that. And where can they find you on social media? 
Uh, just my Instagram is pretty much what I use the most at Douglas key with one S. Yeah. And if for you ladies, there's gotta be a shirtless photo in there somewhere. I think I've seen it before. It's really uh, there's there's one or two and you know, they're, they're tasteful. Hell yeah. So go check that out. Doug. Thanks so much, man. That was really enjoyable. I appreciate it. I got a lot. I appreciate it. it. Thanks Joe. Thanks buddy. Mindful metal jacket is hosted by comedian Joe list produced by Joe list edited by Matt Kleinschmidt executive producers, Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the laugh button podcasts.